The room is full. It's morning, bleak and grey and cold outside, but bustling on the inside with fellow students all dressed in black. Some are serious and grey-faced, ready to make notes as they observe the lesson. Others are joking about as they take their seats at the sloping wooden benches that line the classroom. Besides the benches, the dissection room has a large glass skylight so that natural daylight can flood in, and a sunken middle. That's where the table is. The subject is already there, hidden under a white sheet. The professor is washing his hands and talking in a low voice to his assistant. There's a spot of red on his apron as he turns around to face the class. Prepare to witness the creation of God, he says. Everyone goes quiet. The assistant pulls the sheet back. There's some sniggering as the body is that of a woman. Young, too, and beautiful. She could be sleeping. Something squeezes inside your stomach as you look at her face. Eyes closed and already sunken in death, lips slightly parted. She's not a stranger. Why, you spoke to her mere nights before. She didn't seem ill at the time. Vivacious, flirty, and plying her trade on the streets of Edinburgh. The professor holds the scalpel aloft. You look up at the sky and swallow. and welcome to tonight's episode of Grave History, a Macabre History podcast. I'm Teddy. I'm Katrina. And we are your hosts. And tonight we're taking you through a quick and easy method of helping yourself financially, mm. otherwise known as body snatching. <gasps> you know I need money. You know, I think I do too. I think that's mm, just well... the millennial mood. <laughs> And what better yeah. way to get money than to wait in a cemetery late at night and dig up people's unsuspecting relatives? I mean, that's what I was doing anyway. Now you're telling me I can get paid for it? Yeah. God, you've been doing it for free? I just like the earthy smell. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but yeah, Good tonight indeed. we are discussing uh, all things body snatching, um, anatomy, uh, mm -hmm. resurrectionists, and yes. all those kind of good things. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. There's a lot more to it than just, you know, uh, I think Burke and Hare is the most famous story. Mm, absolutely. Uh, yes, and, and we will be covering that, of course. Naturally. Uh, yes, of course, but there is a whole lot more to it than that, uh, even that went on after it was stopped. Mm. Mm -hmm. Just because something is suddenly made illegal doesn't mean it stops. Oh my, no. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so um, I believe you have something with the sort of origins of I body do. snatching, the early part. So I do. Give me what you got. Well, body snatching has documented cases um, specifically for medical use back to the early 14th century. And I say specifically for medical use because grave robbing was happening before that, obviously. Yes. But yes. that was more for, um, for like, stealing grave goods rather than the yeah, like bodies. Artifacts, jewellery, clothes, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. that's been happening in Egypt for centuries. 
yeah, well, if you do that, they might just make you head of the British Museum. Hey! <laughs> Thank you. That was a relevant colonial burn. I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I bring up the 14th century is because not only is the first case of body snatching then, um, the first recorded anatomization is also in that century, uh, in Bologna. Okay. Ooh, Italy. Mm. Lovely. Which is so, that where um, the first use of galvanization happened as well? I believe it was. Mm. I mean, it's sort of Renaissance Italy. There yeah. was a, a, a lot going on. I mean, from my research, from what I understand, Italy uh, was one of the kind of main areas of early anatomy. Mm. It was, if yeah. not the main area of early anatomy. I mean... Uh, obviously, I found a book about Da Vinci as mm-hmm. the anatomist, which is very interesting because obviously he was interested in anatomy. There's even that whole theory that um, uh, the creation of Adam is supposed to depict uh, an yeah. open human skull. Yeah. yeah, up in the like um, yeah. the material Sistine behind Jebel? God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, because uh, God is the mind or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, which I I hope that's true because that would be pretty dope more interesting than it just being a picture of god <laughs> to be honest but Not you know to, you know uh to cast any aspersions on god uh, it says you says um, me says you <laughs> we're getting off um, topic damn it we are sorry one other thing so yeah a little link forward and then back again because I'm okay. cool like that. So, in Britain, anatomization was illegal until 1506, uh-huh. when uh, James the Fourth gave royal patronage to the barber surgeons of Edinburgh. Barber surgeons. Barber surgeons, and the reason why they're barber surgeons is because in um, monasteries, it was ruled by the Pope. Can't remember exactly when. Sorry, um, that monks weren't allowed to spill blood okay in a sort of medical way i guess at all but specifically medical um and so they needed someone else to do that when there was you know medical stuff being done and they already had these barbers because monks weren't allowed to cut hair um or no they weren't allowed to have beards that was it um so they had these barbers on hand and they were like hey do you want to come be surgeons as well? And it sort of grew from there. I guess that's kind of killing two birds with one stone. Kind of like out yeah. in, the, in, in the current economy, many people have two jobs. Teachers, for example. Yeah, or three, you know. Mm, mm-hmm. But I guess if you're working with, like, cutthroat razors, you're already used to working with very uh, sharp tools in a very precise way. I mean, I guess. I mean, there's a wee bit more to it than that, though, surely. Well, yeah, but it's at least a starting point. Hmm. I don't know. I I was told at the London Dungeon that that's mm. why barbers' poles are red and white because they're supposed it to represent. Yeah, they're supposed to represent blood and bandages or something. Mm-hmm. That's uh, very true. I, d- I don't know. It was in the Sweeney Todd bit where you're sitting in a chair, and I kind of fell asleep because <laughs> it was pretty relaxing. <laughs> Only you could find the London Dungeons relaxing. Mm. Can we go? Mm-hmm. Yes, we can go. We've talked about Good. this before. We did when we recorded we the did. episode the first time. Yes, we... <laughs> oh, Christ on the bike. 
<laughs> I hope everyone knows how much effort we put into this. So much that my eyes are bleeding and my teeth are sweating. <laughs> Um, so to come back to, to Edinburgh, yes. so the royal patronage in 1506 allowed um, the barber surgeons of Edinburgh to dissect, and I quote, a certain, ex- oh, not a certain, sorry, to dissect mm-hmm. certain executed criminals. Which executed criminals? I don't know. Maybe, was it a capital? Like those who had committed murder? Yeah, I think it usually seems to be that. Like that seems to be my guess, but okay. the direct quote is certain executed criminals. You'd hope they'd be a bit clearer than that. But, yeah, you know. Okay. Um, England then followed um, quite a while later, in fifteen forty, when Henry the Eighth um, allowed English anatomists to dissect four. Uh, felons a year mm-hmm. um, and so he's slightly more specific he's specifically saying felons okay yeah well... um, Charles I later expanded it to six and Elizabeth I also granted permission to the College of Physicians to dissect four felons a year in 1564 Okay. but here's the problem four felons a year not mm-hmm. very much <laughs> no, I mean, the problem with dissection uh, is that supply has always been far less than demand, uh, even, yeah. to, even today. Mm-hmm. Um, it is difficult trying to sort of get people to donate their bodies, um, yeah. which is what we have to do now from, from the, I think, 1962 was the Tissue Act, meaning mm. that, you know, yeah, you need um, uh, full consent from you know, the the person donating the tissues and doctors can't override that. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, back in... I mean, we're seeing a very specific type of person who uh, whose body would be used back in the olden days and that type of person was a criminal. Yeah, because obviously they have given up the right to have a complete body. Yes, I mean, it was... was, um, I mean, one of the accounts I found, uh, this was in a, in a book called um, A Short History of Anatomy, which mm-hmm. is uh, a second edition from 1931. Um, it actually reports that two criminals um, so, uh, being executed for their crimes was not really that much of a big deal. The huge deal was being dissected afterwards. Yeah. That was the real punishment. Mm, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if someone's yeah. done I mean I'm gonna I'm not saying I believe this personally, but from a kind of justice perspective, mm. if someone's done something unbelievably awful and then their only punishment is a short drop and a sudden stop. As it were. That's not really a punishment. I guess so, yeah. It's Do you um, know what I mean? Yeah, I do, I do. Um I mean, I guess nowadays it's why, I mean, I'm I'm against the death penalty, for mm. example, because, among other things, I think life in prison is worse. Yeah. You know? But also life in prison can allow for kind of, quote-unquote, penitence. Well, exactly. You sit in um, there and you think about what you've done. You sure do. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for, for, uh, for criminals, that was the ultimate humiliation. Mm. 
was having their bodies then dissected. And yeah. often these often these would take place publicly. Dissections were public things. Yeah. They were a, a, a form of entertainment. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, people were going to go and going to see <laughs> executions, so executions dissections going to look at corpses i mean in mm. in in um in paris the paris morgue was open to visitors yep. ostensibly so that they could be easily identified but you know in reality a lot of people were just going there to have a bit of a gulp yeah and mm. here's the thing we like to pretend we've got better and that we don't mm. do this anymore and those people were really weird and we're so civilized but people mm-hmm. still go but... to like Pathology museums, body worlds. Dude, body world. Yeah, we were just talking about. We were, yeah, yeah. It's in um, Piccadilly Circus. It. <laughs> I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Per se, especially as, you know, with with something like body worlds, the uh, at least the theory is that it's it's with it's from willing donations. Yeah. But you know that's a, that that's a whole. That's other thing. the theory. Um. You know, and I, I'm the last person who'd be like, oh, no, we can't have this because yeah. it's, you know, the, there there were people saying, we need to bury these bodies, we need to... Well, no, um, if the person whose body it was didn't want that and this is what they consented to, then it's not your yeah. business. But, I mean, it really was a a, a punishment. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Back in, the, back, in, back in the Albany days. Well, there was this belief that if you didn't go into the grave hole, then you can be resurrected uh, when Christ returned. Somewhat ironic, actually, with the resurrection man hey. as the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, we, we are talking about a quite specific time period here, yeah. sort of the late 18th, uh, early 19th century, mm-hmm. up until the Anatomy Act of 1832. Yeah, the height of body uh, snatching. Yeah, sort of late uh, 1820s, early 1830s were when it all kind of got mm-hmm. really rambunctious. And to give you an idea of why it got so kind of rambunctious, um, so in London in in 1831, um, there were around 800 medical students. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just in London. Mm. Um, Of whom, and I'm quoting directly from a wonderful book on this subject, if you're interested in learning more about London body snatching, um, Ooh, so, I know I am. Yeah, I'm quoting from The Italian Boy by Sarah Wise, uh, which is Very good Murder and Grave Robbery in 1830s London. Mm-hmm. It's very good, totally recommend. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so of the 800 medical students, there would be 500 dissected corpses as part of their anatomical education. Each student was said to require three bodies during his 16th month training two for learning mm-hmm. anatomy, one on which to practice operating techniques. And one, like, another one just to, you know, be a friend, yeah. companion, buddy. It gets lonely. Uh, spot you in the gym. Yeah. Just be there for exactly. you. You know what I mean. Um, so if we keep those figures in mind, it also says that the problem at the time and why body snatching became so prevalent... Prevalent? Prevalent. I think it's prevalent. Prevalent. Um, I think so. Was that although more people were being sentenced and justice was being passed to a certain higher degree, fewer people mm-hmm. were actually being executed. Yeah, the execution rates were mm. way down. Mm. So, um, um, in I mean that that that's that's the theory as to one of the reasons why wax museums got so mm. popular. 
because uh, you know popular aspects of wax museums are often their kind of horror displays, yeah. which is kind of how Madame Tussauds started mm-hmm. out, among other things. At French Revolution, uh, people exactly yes, people were filling that kind of bloodthirsty gap. Yeah, people um, want to see horror. With... They really do. Yeah. Hasn't changed nope. much, has it? Um, but yeah, in 1805. <laughs> In England and Wales, while 350 death sentences were passed, um, only mm. 68 of them were actually executed, and only 10 of those were for murder. Okay, so that's only 10 bodies. Yeah. Um, that they could get hold of legally. Um, yes. in, by 1831, um, 1,601 uh, people were condemned to death, but only 52 were executed, and only 12 of those were for murder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so we're starting to we're bit, see supply and demand issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the okay. reason why we mention murder uh, criminals specifically is because an act was passed in 1752 uh, called the Murder mm-hmm. Act. Sounds like fun. That meant that only the bodies of those executed for murder could be uh, used ah. by anatomy students. Okay, so kind of like what we we're talking about mm-hmm. earlier. So now we have it yeah. specifically. So we're, so we're learning, but we're also laying down the law. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. On the subject of uh, justice, body snatching also is not considered a pretty big crime. No, it's... I mean, in a lot of these cases, the main crime was more to do with desecration mm. of a grave, uh, damaging... Damaging a property, you know, stealing clothes, mm. stealing jewelry, uh, which is why they, which is why they often left those yeah. behind, at the site of a mm. grave robbery. Body snatching was often kind of, and this is such a strange concept to me. It was punishable mm. by a fine, <laughs> all right, rather than imprison- imprisonment or transportation. Okay, so it it was a slap on the wrist type crime. Yeah, exactly. So so if if they could prove that you had you know, damage the grave, then presumably you'd go down harder. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, because at the time, corpses weren't legally anyone's property. Well, no, I guess, I suppose. No. The coffin and the shroud and the grave clothes and all what have you, that yeah. was the property. Yes. Because it had and, monetary value. And by George, we can't have people damaging our monetary value, now can we? No. Not <laughs> at all. Yeah. Now... <laughs> Now, say you were scared that your family member might get snatched. Me? I'm scared that my family member might get snatched? Yes. I don't know. Specify which family member. <laughs> that is something I am not touching. Hmm. Um, you could use safeguards. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this to me is that most of these appear in Scotland. Mm, mm-hmm. You guys were just terrified. Don't you try and steal my goddamn body. (laughs) Here's the thing. I've just had this thought. Is Scotland particularly, like, super Christian? Um, currently I'm gonna say no. Back then, um... I am really. I I took a class in British history which involved lengthy lengthy discussion of yeah. uh, religion in Scotland in the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth centuries. Mm. But I didn't pay attention to any of it. 
because it was full of the exact kind of people who are my least favourite people who go to Edinburgh University. Oh dear. Um, so I spent the whole thing grinding my teeth in was the Was it Harry Potter fans? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. We, If you guys, the listeners, have any thoughts, let us know. Participation is fun. I wouldn't I wouldn't say more so than England. No, I guess for not. For what it's worth. I, I actually don't know why there are more in Scotland. That's no. actually a very interesting point. Mm. Uh, maybe we're just more extra. Maybe. Maybe. And you like giving 21st century tour guides the excuse to say that there were zombies. Yeah, I, I'm not kidding. I was in, I was in Greyfriars uh, Cemetery. Doesn't matter why. Um, and <laughs> what were you doing, Trina? Uh, and I heard a to- I overheard a tour guide talking about the the, the mort safes is what they call uh. these kind of iron cages that fit over the tombs. And um, I heard uh, him saying, and this was so yeah, you know an ancient uh, superstitious folk belief in vampires. And I was like, that's not it, you dirty microwave. But um, <laughs> I didn't want to in- interrupt the tour. That's a great insult. It's a really good insult, isn't it? Um, um, but yeah, so as the as mentioned there, mort safes were one possible uh, safeguard. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They were definitely for the rich. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Because iron is expensive. It is. Um, but you could actually reuse them, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need them for a few weeks. Once yeah. the body was decomposed to a certain extent, mm-hmm. then it was pretty much useless to anatomists. Until it was, uh, I get to use one of my favourite words, uh, putrefied. Ooh, yeah. that's a good word. Good old putrefaction. So essentially, it would get rented out, sit over the grave for a bit, body rots, take safe away. Hmm. But the problem is, they don't go all the way down to the coffin. So you could dig round them. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Um, so what could you do instead? Well. What could you do instead? Well. In 1818, so two years after the invention of the mort safe, uh, metal coffins were patented by an Edward Bridgman. Hmm. Now these I, uh, make it... Yeah. Much more difficult. Yeah, because you can, yeah, you can crack open a wooden coffin. Mm-hmm. I mean, provided provided the whole property damage thing wasn't yeah. something that bothered you. Or you could at least lever the lid. Yes, that, <laughs> that that would probably be the better way to approach it. I just go at it full on with a crowbar, like, come on, <laughs> give me your corpse, bring me your bones. <laughs> um. So yeah, these guys were designed not only to be harder to get into. Because they had uh, springs in the lids, like yes. spring locks. Um, they also were a lot heavier. Uh, yes. But again, expensive. Yeah, it seems to me like the uh, the wealthy mm. probably were, you know, the best off in this whole body yeah. situation. Um, I, I hate I, I I don't want I don't want to you know bring politics into this you know I, 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 but it's almost like the rich are privileged even into death yeah <laughs> so what could you do that was slightly more uh, monetary friendly well what could you do mort houses mm-hmm. so mort houses were originally used 
uh, to keep bodies when the ground was too hard to dig graves. So they would store the bodies in there, stay nice and cold, don't really rot, dig, 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 okay, ground's now soft enough, bury body. However, if you don't want your body being stolen, put it Mm -hmm. in this mort house, let it putrefy, not useful anymore. Ew. Mm. Can you imagine you're like trapped in a storm or something in a cemetery? You're like, oh, 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 I'll just seek relief in this in this humble wooden <laughs> shell. Oh my god. god. Oh. Ah. Just they're, screaming they're scre- forever. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're screaming because they were there to rob graves, but all they found was putrefied bodies. Oh, well. Tragic. Um, the most simple safeguard was actually guards yes um but they were technically also the most flawed because although it's fairly cheap you could bribe them you can bribe them humans Mm. are bribable humans very bribable body snatching very lucrative humans are bastards is what you should be taking away from this basically Mm -hmm. but yeah poorer families could could be their own gods yes now boy that must have been that must have been freaking fun Sit on Grandpa's grave for two weeks. Now, the one fun thing I had to say, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't include in the expensive ones, but I probably should have, yeah, is coffin torpedoes. I had never heard of those before this. I know. And before I told you last time we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm I'm still like blown away that those were literally. a thing that exist and that they are not currently a thing that exists. So, coffin torpedoes, also known as grave torpedoes, coffin guns, or cemetery alarms, they're definitely alarm someone, (laughs) um, were an invention of, like, the, I want to say the 1820s? What was the inventor called? Well, there's two that I could find. There's one Uh called Phil Clover. Okay. Um, He's the inventor of the coffin torpedo. Which would sit on top of the coffin lid once it was buried and would fire lead balls at whoever tried to dig it up. And presumably the other was uh, Sir Richard Coffin Cannon. And he grew grew up hating his name, but he knew one day it would come in useful and by George did it eventually become Unfortunately, no. It's a man called Thomas Howell. That's boring. Uh, But he invented the grave torpedo. Um... Which was an explosive shell filled with gunpowder. That's a mine. That's amazing. I mean, graveyards where people frequently walk around on top of the earth. uh, Yeah. And mines are just two things that a Venn diagram of them should not even be on the same page. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It shouldn't. It should Um, not. You'll be thankful to know that there's none left in the ground. Anymore. I, I, I'm glad that my new worry immediately is gone before <laughs> I had time to really think about it. Because I know that you like exploring abandoned cemeteries. I did find an abandoned cemetery the other day, and it was pretty badass. But there were no mines in the ground, so you're safe. Not as far as I know. We did, we did, we did find some uh, black condom wrappers, meaning oh. that goths had been fucking. Of course they had. Where else do goths fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Only in cemeteries. Literally can't do it anywhere else. Yeah. 
And I've, um, I, I, my best friend used to work in uh, Greyfriars Cemetery, and she said they mm. found people fucking in there a lot. Oh, I bet they did. <laughs> were they all goths? Not all of them. Some of them were just some of them were just drunk. I call myself a goth. I have uh-huh. never fucked in a cemetery. You're not a real goth then, sorry. No, I'm not. Renounce. You know what? <laughs> I mean, no, I, I was going to finish that, and it's getting a little NSFW, so... Let's <laughs> back that up. I mean, neither have I, but it's fine, because I consider myself goth adjacent. <laughs> You're just like that person that wears black, but isn't a goth. Oh no, I never wear black. <gasps> I don't. What? I don't. I mean, to be fair, the only thing I remember you wearing is your RMG uniform. Yeah, that was all black. So, that wasn't my yeah. cho- that that wasn't my choice. I no, was that's I was true. I was disgusted when I saw it. <laughs> You'd much rather the dashing blue and white of the uh, VA team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> since we're in Scotland, yes, we are in Scotland. Why don't you tell us about the infamous? Uh, Burke and Hare. Well, I will tell you about the infamous Burke and Hare. Yeah, and now, this time we won't call William Burke a bitch. I called him a bitch. I called him a. a, a <laughs> I called him a little bitch last time, and I think that, I think that's what caused all our technical stuff was his ghost mm-hmm. fucking with me. Because I am in Edinburgh right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I was at Edinburgh University today to get a book out. And Ooh, and nerd. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Um, no, I I've been to I have two degrees from the University of Edinburgh, uh, and I'm still unemployed. So that should tell you something. Um, anyway, so Edinburgh is an interesting city. Um, it it's it's way smaller than London, obviously, but it has a very very rich medical history. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, there's a great museum called the Surgeons Hall Museum, which I recommend checking out if you're in uh in town, which is a pretty good like um. Uh, it's got some great artifacts, body parts, that kind of thing. Um, and mo- uh, most of all, it has uh, the University of Edinburgh Med- Medical School, uh, which is number one in Scotland and always seems to be one of the top medical schools in um, in Britain, in the world. One of the oldest, anyway. Uh, some famous graduates include Joseph Lister, who invented antiseptics. Hey. Exactly. Uh, Alexander Fleming, penicillin. Uh, but it was not always this way, folks, friends. To get where we are now, we have got to make medical discoveries. Now, um, I'm going to talk to you about, uh, um, a chap who worked at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, his, uh, his name was Robert Knox, Dr. Robert Knox, I beg your pardon. Um, 1791 he for that doctorate. to 1862. Oh yeah, he strove hard for that bread. Yeah. He obtained that grain. Um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so this chap, um, he was head of the anatomy school at Edinburgh, mm-hmm. um, though obviously we had this exact same problem of supply and demand. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Edinburgh is a pretty small place, so, you know, even fewer uh, executions, that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, we already basically know who Burke and Hare were, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were two chaps who committed a series of murders. Murders most foul. Murders most foul. It's di- it's disputed exactly how many they committed because there are contradicting records. Mm. Uh, but it was definitely in the high teens. I mean, that's pretty impressive. At the very least. Totally. Uh, they never robbed a single grave, either. Nope. They're, they're known as resurrectionists, but 
you know, I That's don't think they nice. I don't think they had the perseverance to be resurrectionists. No. Mm. Um, there was actually a precedent for this kind of uh, mur- um, murders. Um, in 1752, for example, two women were hanged for murdering a nine-year-old boy and selling his body for three shillings uh, in Edinburgh's grass market. Um, plus, there were quite a few other Edinburgh-related crimes, um, including... I found one account which sounded kind of fun. I'm not going to read it out because it's too long, but um, of a, a, a body snatching gang in Edinburgh. Okay. You know, just just kind of four lads having a good time. Um, <laughs> just out for cheeky nandos and some body snatching. What's better than those guys being dudes? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Mr. Knox, um, anatomist, uh, who, and if his Wikipedia page is to be believed, he kind of looked like Dr. Robotnik without the moustache. That's a weird image. Yeah. I just think of the person who played him in Horrible Histories. <laughs> I haven't actually seen that episode. I'm a fake fan. Oh my god. Fake fan. Fake <laughs> fan. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, his thing was, he was basically willing to overlook any, shall we say, less than savoury acquisitions of bodies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Seems to be a trend. Yeah, basically. Uh, as we know, fresh is best. Mm. And what's the best way to get fresh corpses? Murder. Murder. So uh, Burke and Hare, they were both Irish immigrants. Um, mm-hmm. They became buddies in 1827, and they ended up moving into a lodging house together on Tanner's Close in Edinburgh. Um, Hare's uh, girlfriend, Margaret Laird, was the owner of the house, while Burke's lady friend, Helen McDougal, also moved in. It's just crowded in there. It's like it's like an episode of Come Dine With Me, but with bodies. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, come, come get dysentery with me. <laughs> so they actually started off their murder spree quite by chance. Mm. Uh, one lodger in the house, an elderly man, was quite sick and he died. Uh, it said he had dropsy, which is one of those fantastic sounding old timey diseases that... Very Victorian disease. It just sounds very whimsical. Um, <laughs> and yet is anything but. Yes, quite. Uh, and this was in November 1827. Uh, unfortunately, he died while still owing four pounds of back rent. Uh, so the logical thing to do would be to take him to Dr. Knox, who, again, didn't ask questions and paid yep. well. So this man had already been, you know, coffined up. So they had to prise open the coffin before it was sent away, remove the body and replace it with weighted sacks then wait till nightfall to smuggle him out. And uh, the lads were rewarded by Dr. Knox with £7.10 and ten shillings for wow. their efforts. That's yes. pretty impressive. Oh yeah, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, from here, their murder spree really began. Um, it's unclear who was killed next. It's usually believed to be another lodger who fell ill. And it was clear he was gonna die, but he wasn't quite dying fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what a bastard. So they helped him along by smothering him, which is how they killed most of their victims, taking him along to Dr. Knox again. Okay. Uh, now, Burke and Hare, they wanted the money, but like I said, they weren't really cut out for the, the actual hard work of spending nights as resurrection men. Yeah. Uh, so, what they embarked on a murder spree. Because that's easier. Oh yeah, totally. Which again, usually their, their modus operandi was befriending people. Uh, sometimes elderly women, sometimes elderly men, often people who were uh, invisible people, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. People who wouldn't be missed. 
Yes, exactly. They would get them drunk. They would take them back to the lodging house, then suffocate them. Cool. Cash. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And they did this a lot. Like, their killing spree lasted a year in total. That's pretty good going. It is pretty good going, but what, what really brought them down was that they started to get careless. For example, a few of their victims were young female sex workers. Uh, one such woman named Mary Patterson uh, was actually fairly well known because she was considered to be quite a beauty. Mm. And as she lay on the dissecting table, one student was pretty sure that he recognised her, <laughs> which was kind of the first, you know... <laughs> The first um, is he gonna say anything though? Probably not. Let's be let's be real. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, there was there were more vicious murders. Uh, on one occasion, an old beggar woman and her deaf mute grandson oh, were were lured back to Tanner's Close. The old woman was killed in the usual way. Mm. Uh. The boy though, apparently, uh, I'm not too sure as to why. Um. I'm assuming it's because he might have struggled. Um, but apparently Burke killed him by breaking his back over his knee. Jesus. Like he was Bane. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Burke was very much the the more bloodthirsty of the two. He was uh, reported widely to be the more unpleasant of the two. Mm. Um, obviously not letting hair get away with anything, but Burke was very much the one who, you know committed the most murder yeah uh i mean burke for example um killed uh helen's cousin very much in cold blood uh again we don't know exactly how many deaths they caused but by the end of their killing spree they were eventually caught by two different murders Mm. uh one was of a young man known as darth jamie who was well known around the area uh he was quite a simple lad to Put it somewhat euphemistically. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, but he he was he was well known, and people noticed that he was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was recognised on Knox's dissecting table. Uh oh. <sighs> exactly. So people knew something was up. And then their their big mistake really uh, was to invite a woman named Mrs. Doherty home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was hanging out with them and the other lodgers. They were having a wee bit of a party, as you do. Um, but they ran out of booze. So what do you do when you run out of booze? You go to the offy? You exactly, you go to the off license. You take a wee trip out. Uh they stayed behind with Mrs. Doherty and killed her. Oh. But when the others got back, they noticed that she was gone because they're drunk, but they're not stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um they tried to brush off the question, but uh the lodgers went looking and eventually they found her under the bed. <sighs> <laughs> they tr- uh, they tried to bribe the lodgers mm. um, uh, but the secret was out and both bros and their ladies were arrested unfortunately good yeah so this resulted in quite a big trial uh, the result of which saw uh, now Hare uh, managed to get off by providing evidence and he escaped and basically disappeared oh he took the what's it the king's something yes Something like that. The king's whatever. Yeah. The, <laughs> um, Knox, as well, was not prosecuted, uh, although people were calling for him to be prosecuted. Mm. They were calling for him to be hanged. Um, yeah. In the aftermath, he became something of a pariah. Um, he, Fair. Yeah, basically. I mean, he, he, he fled Edinburgh. He kept on buying shady corpses, but lost his edge yeah. somewhat after the Anatomy Act when more bodies were available. Mm. Um, as for Burke, 
Well, he was sentenced to death by hanging, and it was decreed that on his death, uh, his body was to be uh, dissected publicly. Ah. You know, that's karma, bitch. Yeah. And <laughs> and um, what happened to some remnants of his body, his skeleton was articulated, uh, which just means putting it together so it, so it hangs independently. Um, and his a patch of his skin was made into a leather-bound book. Oh, Now, nice. both of which are still owned by the University of Edinburgh Collection. Now, the skeleton, I believe, is in private collection. I've never actually seen it. Oh. But the uh, book bound with his skin is on display at Surgeon's Hall Museum, and you can go and see it nice. if you so wish. Along with some other grisly artefacts. Look, I need to come and, and visit you in Edinburgh and see these. You do. Come along. It's fun. I will. And uh, I'd like to finish off with a little rhyme about <gasps> do it, it. Do it. Which, <laughs> which um, it, this is a children's rhyme. I don't believe it's still said by children today, but I have, you know, we were always told it in school because we, we learned this story in school and it was great. <laughs> so, up the close and down the stair, in the house of Burke and Hare, Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, knocks the man who buys the beef. Jesus. Yeah. Why are children's rhymes always so horrible? I love it. <laughs> it's you great. would, though. You're that kind of person. Hello, mother, <laughs> I said. So, you may think that the case of Burke and Hare yeah. is what led to the Anatomy Act. Oh, but you'd be wrong. No. No. Because only a few years later... If we move back down to London... Let's move back down to London. Um, we have the what's believed to be the actual kind of catalyst for the Anatomy Act. Uh-huh. Which wouldn't have existed without Burke and Hare. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the 1830s, um, Burking had become a term for murdering someone for their marketable cadaver. <laughs> That's, I love it when you get highly specific words that relate to the, you know, you, yeah. you know, like Rick rolling. Yeah, exactly. Mm, mm-hmm. It's the 18th, 1800s equivalent of Rick rolling. <laughs> sure, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go with that. Um, so to set the scene, we are in East London mm-hmm. and there are no surprises there. What? Something horrible happening in East London? You don't say. Yeah. Um, even more specifically, um, if anyone has visited Columbia Road Flower Market, that's where we're setting our story. Okay. What is now quite a, I don't want to call it bougie, but it is a little bit bougie, a little bit gentrified. I, I knew as soon as you said flower market. Yeah. It is a really nice flower market though. Oh no, I'm sure it's lovely. It's just. Yeah. All of London is bougie now. Mm Mm-hmm. It'd be like that. It'd be like that. That'd be the world. So, before it was Columbia Road, uh, mm. that area was actually known as Nova Scotia Gardens. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of, for want of a better term, a shithole. Okay. They should... <laughs> yeah? You know, unsurprisingly for 1800s East London. No. I know. But these were... Um, so, these were cottages... Uh, that most likely had originally been created for silk weavers, of which there were a lot in East London. Uh, you had the Huguenots coming over. There are whole areas of 
East London, especially around Spitalfields, uh, which were Huguenot areas. Yeah, that was the sort of first wave of migration, but that whole area is yep. a hub of migration. That's where most of the Jewish immigrants, the Chinese immigrants, ended up. Yep, you are correct. <laughs> I usually am. <laughs> you. Me. Um, so they had fairly large gardens that were designed for being able to um, fold up and stretch out material. Mm-hmm. But they were also below street level, so they were prone to flooding. Yes, It's possible they were also built on an old brick field, which had been exhausted, but were also potentially just built on um, layfall. Okay. Which is a polite way of saying shit. That is a polite way of putting it, yes. Mm. Mm. Like literal human waste. And I would imagine the structural integrity of said human waste is not spectacular. No. Mm. So it made the the buildings pretty undesirable. (laughs) Oh, no, I mean, I think they go for quite a lot of money now, you know? <laughs> oh, they would now, yeah. Yeah. Um, But the people we are most closely looking at in this story are sort of Burke and Hare, if you will. Okay. Uh, are John Bishop and Thomas Williams. Okay. I always knew John Bishop was up to no good. <laughs> There's also James May in this. Oh, I definitely knew he was up to no good. Yeah, he's waiting on Clarkson to die so he can sell his body. Aren't we all? I'm in favour of that. Um, mm-hmm. God, that w- that would be a great episode. Of t- Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. Oh, it would. <laughs> um, what's interesting about this is that Bishop and Williams both came from fairly kind of stable backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Like Bishop had a, came from a successful carting business, um, but happened to you know marry his dead father's. Uh, widow who was his stepmother sort of weird i think that's i think that's creepy but i i don't want to dissect that a that whole setup oh was that a pun i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i meant to do that i'm a genius yeah you did and williams had a very loving mother and a pretty stable family um who were fairly shocked when he kind of devolved into criminal behavior i mean it happens yeah um but through a kind of series of unfortunate events and not really finding work and drinking their money away, they ended up in the in two of the cottages in Nova Scotia Gardens. Mm. And then slowly became friends and moved into one. Oh, that's nice. That's a love story. Yeah. So now we have husband-wife, husband-wife living in one building. It's very much a Burke and Hare situation. That is a Burke and Hare situation. That's exactly mm-hmm. a Burke and Hare situation. Yeah. That's a sitcom situation. It is. Hmm. So the, the, the where they differ um, from Burke and Hare is that these guys were actually resurrectionists. Oh, okay. First. Good. So they were hard workers. They could graft. They could work. Exactly. They could own it. That's good. I'm glad to yeah. hear that. Unlike Burke and Hare, who did fucking nothing for their infamy. <laughs> The way uh, Bishop got into it was he, as I mentioned, was originally from the carting kind of business. Uh-huh. And most snatchers were porters or cab- carters sorry, by uh, trade. Mm-hmm. Because having a cart was such an integral part of being a snatcher. <laughs> yeah. You needed a way of carting your bodies about. Bodies are heavy. Yeah. And you needed a way that was unsuspicious. And, you know, a cart kind of does it. I'd probably be just as suspicious as a cart with a body in it than just a person carrying a body. Well, I think they're probably covering the body. I don't think they're like, hey, 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 hey. 
I have three bodies. They say the best way to get away with stuff is to just boldly do it. Yeah. Mm. That's true. That is true. So, you know, you could just sling a dead body in the back and be like, hello, he's resting. I'm just taking him off. And people would be like, <laughs> yep, fair enough. I'm going to go he's back. He's my family member. Yeah. We're taking him to get buried. That's a much better idea than whatever I just said. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the interesting thing about this is that up until a point, they were not suspected of murder at all. Mm-hmm. They were just resurrectionists. That's all people knew them to be. And people did know they were resurrectionists. But, I mean, it sounds like it was viewed as quite harmless. Yeah. I mean, there were pubs round East London and into City of London where you knew you would be able to find resurrectionists if you went in there. Just lads? Just guys being dudes? Yeah. Hmm. Just dudes being gays, yeah. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, where is my uh, extremely serious eight-part BBC drama about a bunch of resurrectionists <laughs> who are in love with each other? Mark Gators, I'm looking at you. Write it. Yeah, Call it me. would absolutely be him. Yeah, it totally would. Um, so the thing here is very much like with, with Burke and Hare. They kind of got greedy and careless. Well, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's how that's how most murderers are caught is them being careless, yeah. careless and greedy. Quite. Um. So on the fifth of November. Yeah. Fun date. Didn't realize at first that that was a date date, but you know. A date date. Like as in remember remember the fifth of November. I thought you meant like a date date. Yeah, you know, they were on like a date. <laughs> that's what I thought. I mean, they spent all day drinking. Yeah, a date. And the day before. That's just a London date, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So, Bishop... I think... I, I'm going to make sure I've got this the right way around. Okay. So, Bishop um gets hold of a, a body. Yeah. And it's very fresh. Like, suspiciously fresh. Ew. But they know they can get some good money for it. Okay. And him and May go to one anatomy school where Bishop is offered eight guineas. Oh my. And he's told by May, no, you can get way more than that. I sold a body the other day for ten guineas. I can definitely get you more for this. Um, So they go to St. Uh, Guy's Hospital. St. Guy's mm-hmm. Hospital? Guy's Hospital. Guy's Hospital. Guy's being dude's hospital. <laughs> Um, and they're turned away from there because May had sold them bodies the day before. So then they head to King's College, London. Okay. okay and okay. this is where things start going off the rails. So the anatomist who is in charge there, uh, a Richard Partridge. Am I allowed to imagine him as Alan Partridge? Like, but like Alan Partridge's like great grandfather? Because that's what yes, I'm you are. Give him, like, mutton chops and we'll be glad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It is a, it's a comedy, this series. It's a comedy. I love it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he comes out to examine the body because he wants to make sure this is a good body before he goes out paying 12 whole guineas for it. Ooh, not Which bad. is an obscene amount, considering your starting wage for a policeman is nowhere near that. In fact, it is, and I have notes on this, um, is 
one guinea a week. Yeah, but what did they have to do back then? Just, you know, wag their batons at cheeky (laughs) urchins in the street? I don't know. No, they were stuffing a lot of mobs. The French Revolution hadn't been that long ago. How dare you disrupt this image of Victorian London that I have in my head, which is basically (laughs) just the same (laughs) Victorian London from A Muppet Christmas Carol. (laughs) The, the the police as we know them, the Metropolitan Police, were mm. fairly new at this point. Oh, yes. They were and the new unpopular. Boys. They were unpopular, yes. Um, so, our anatomist comes out to examine uh, the, the corpse and notices not only that it's suspiciously fresh, but that he doesn't think it's been buried. Hmm. This co- this body has not been in a coffin, is his theory. Okay. So he pulls, and this is my favourite thing. Okay. <laughs> he goes, oh my god, you guys, I only have a £50 note. I need to go and get some change. I mean, I've definitely pulled that <laughs> when I want to get out of the situation before. Yeah. And here's the thing. So Bishop's like, oh, just, you know, give us whatever and we'll, whatever change you have and that'll be fine. And May, because he knows he's getting a cut um, of whatever the corpse is worth over nine guineas, mm-hmm. um, it's like, we'll just take the £50 note and give you change. Which, you know, no. <laughs> you ain't never seeing that £50 note ever again. He's going to put it into his greasy little hands and then slither away. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The doctor, the good doctor, is like, no, no, you guys wait here, I'll go get change. Um, goes out the room, manages to get hold of the police, and it's like, yeah, there's totally some, like, murderers in there. I hope he said it exactly like that. <laughs> oh my god, you guys. <laughs> oh my god. Um, and it, they are able to arrest them. Um, the autopsy that later happened on the boy later confirmed that he had, in fact, never been buried. And, in fact, what they'd done to make it look like he had mm-hmm. was just smear some, like, dirt on that, him. That'll do the trick. I used to do yeah. that in PE to make it look like I had, in fact, been power walking. <laughs> just smear some dirt on yourself. Yeah. I mean, fuck yeah. it. I, I probably fell over at some point while I was out yeah. power walking around the building, obviously. <laughs> Oh god, did you have to do those things where they made you walk around the school? Yes. I mean I I, yeah. I, I didn't do them, but you know, no. in, th- in theory I was. You sort of dawdled around the school. Dude, I stopped going to PE in like S6. They were like, Why aren't you in PE? And I was like, Ugh. and they were like Because <laughs> I'm too cool. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I said <laughs> Miss, I'm frankly I am too cool for school. For this. What do you mean detention? Um <laughs> So, in the autopsy, um, they also found signs of a blow to the back of the boy's head. Oh, okay. um, Which was determined to be the most likely cause of death. Yeah. And between this and the kind of... The the evidence that was given by people that had seen uh, these guys kind of with this suspiciously fresh body, trying to get it hidden, and also the dentist that um, Bishop had tried to sell the boy's teeth too <laughs> because he made the mistake of being like oh my god you should pay me loads for these teeth because they've come from a body that's never been buried whoops 
Yeah. Rookie mistake right there. Didn't expect those two things to kind of bite you in the ass. But they did. They sure as hell did. And because of the evidence given, they decided they had enough cause to go and investigate the cottages. Mm. Where they found um, there was a well in the back in the garden. Yeah. And inside this well, they found items of clothing, personal belongings. They found more in the privy. They found more in the house. And it was determined they'd killed, I think, in the teens. Um, again, kind of a very high number, actually. Yeah. And you you see, because they had the clothes and the and the items, yeah. that means they had real ground to arrest them. Because that, exactly. my friend, that is theft. Mm-hmm. And we won't put up with that. Yeah. Um. Fun thing about this was that the whole concept of the Italian boy, mm-hmm. um, being the victim, is actually yes. kind of a misnomer. It was never really fully proved. Um. But you just you had a lot of italian immigrants in london at the time mm-hmm. whose children were going missing because children were going missing a lot in in this time in london it was the olden days you just have some more yeah exactly yeah. um but so many of them came forward being like this is this italian boy i saw he carries around mice in a little cage he has a turtle i saw him begging it's definitely that boy um that it became that he was an Italian boy and was later kind of tentatively identified as Carlo Ferrari. Yeah, that's that's the name that's given in that 1931 mm. book I have. Yeah, but it was mm-hmm. never really fully proved. Okay. Although it did give the um, like the justice system a kind of wake up call to ha- just how many children were missing. Yeah, I mean, it would be a while yet till we establish things like, I don't know, uh, actually no, I don't think that it is a long while till stuff like labour laws, but you Mm. know, children's basic human rights, we don't really hit that until the 2000s, let's Mm. say. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so similarly to with Burke and Hare, um, Mm. the two kind of accomplices... Mm-hmm. Um, which was uh, James May and Michael Shields, uh, one of whom was a carter, the other one was a unemployed butcher. How is how how can one be an unemployed butcher? Well, as in butchery was his trade, but he wasn't currently working. Okay, okay. Does that mean I am an unemployed, and then pretty much anything I want? Basically. Okay, cool. I like this. Yeah. I've got to go and pick my CV after this. So they were actually acquitted because mm. um, the the jury decided that they had had no part in the actual murders. Um, but uh, Bishop and Williams were both executed and their bodies were uh, dissected because karma's a bitch. Karma is a bitch. Yes, I actually have... Uh, this book describes their executions. Ooh. Yeah, apparently, uh, when they appeared at the scaffold at Newgate, the crowd hooted and yelled with glee. Bishop died instantaneously at the scaffold drop, but William struggled in the death agonies for several moments. Ooh, his neck didn't snap. The crowd then broke through the barriers and, forgetting itself in the excitement of the moment, rushed towards the scaffold to tear the dead bodies limb from limb. Oh, and God. in the struggle with the police, large numbers were injured and trampled underfoot. Yeah, sounds about yeah. right. 
Now, the interesting thing is that they, uh, the police actually allowed people to go into the cottage in the gardens. All right. And so loads of items were just stolen or sold. Okay. They were just like, hey, do you want this like souvenir from the Nova Scotia house? Cool, that's like one shilling. Cool, bye. That's kind of cool. There could be some out there right now. Yeah, who knows? Who indeed. Um, but before we move on to post-anatomy act, yes, I think I need a drink. All this talk of death is getting me, getting me in the mood for some red wine and to rewrite my will. I think <laughs> on parchment. Yes. Yeah. With ink, or maybe blood. Oh my. <laughs> so we're gonna grab a drink, and yes. we'll be back in just a moment. Okay. So now that we've rewritten our wills, um, rededicated our shrine to Caitlin Doty. Oh, I didn't. We're back. You didn't do your will. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have anything to will. I don't own anything. Katrina. I'm sitting in the middle of an empty concrete room right now. <laughs> empty chairs and empty tables. Is that what this is? Dude, I wish I had chairs and tables. <laughs> oh God. Right. I've stretched my limbs. I'm. I'm more comfortable. I'm sit. I'm sitting like you know, you know, a teenage girl in like a, a movie when like she's sitting talking on the phone. Like, no, you hang oh, up and she's yeah. like on the bed with her with her legs, you know, up kicking up behind her. That's how I'm sitting right now. <laughs> like, what are you thinking about? Oh, just death stuff. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. Just, just, just murder stuff, I guess. <laughs> right. Why don't you fill us in from the anatomy? Yet? So, um. Now, as a result of some of the more grisly murders of uh, Burke and Hare, and of the Burkers, of course, mm-hmm. um, in 1832, we had something called the Anatomy Act. Uh, now, the Anatomy Act uh, was a bill that meant that body snatching um, became essentially unnecessary because corpses, which were, of course, still in very high demand... Yep were provided by the unclaimed deceased poor Uh. from hospitals and workhouses. Ah, yes. Um, Yes, now this stayed in place up until the late 19th century, with poor houses selling corpses to teaching hospitals to meet the financial demands of working for the poor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Poor families would also sell the bodies of their dead to earn money. Could be sold in hull, but could also be divided up, uh, which often commanded a higher price. Mm. Uh, Now, uh, the book I I have from 1931 does mention the act, because uh, it basically... That was basically when it just about when it stopped. Mm. Um, yes, so it describes it as doing away with all secret sources of supply for Great Britain and Ireland. Students don't need to go prowling the country look graveyards looking for subjects for dissection. Yeah, they were often referred to as things. Yeah, like a lot of the references in uh, the Italian boy um, were saying he'd you know bought some things recently and had no more need for any more. Things. Things. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... Gr- it, it says... Um, th- the view is quite altruistic. It says... Um, uh, the lives of the injured may be saved, the disease cured, and the suffering relieved. The body snatcher's occupation is gone. The minds of the living are at rest. The deceased sleep peacefully. 
secure in the churchyard where they have been laid to await the dawn of that great day when the trumpet shall blow and the graves deliver up their dead. Huh. I mean, uh, you're, is, you're laying nice. to rest if you're uh, able to have a grave. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it is, it is pretty uncomfortable. Um, now, uh, this also, there was no uh, reduction in the fear of dissection. Of course. Yeah, people were people were still people were still very afraid of being dissected, and especially if you if you were poor, um, then essentially, whereas before dissection was punishment for committing murder, dissection essentially became punishment for being poor. So, um, as quoted in the article, if they were poor, they imprisoned them, mm. then starved them to death, and after they were dead, they butchered them. Yeah. Uh, so working side by side with the poor law. Um, there's a couple of really great books written about this. Um, one's called, one's quite, uh, well, I say recent, 2012-ish, by Elizabeth T. Hurrod. Mm-hmm. It's called Dying for Victorian Medicine, where she kind of recovers the lost stories of people, uh, you know, who um, were essentially forced to sell their bodies or the bodies mm. of their family members. Uh, and there's another one called Death, Dissection, and the Destitute by Ruth Richardson, which is a great book. Um, basically, her point of view in this book is that um, dissection was a punishment for poverty. Yeah, it, which it absolutely yeah, was. Yeah, totally. Um, now, um, as for what this meant, um, so basically what we see is, again, like we a very dramatic decline in the... Um, you know, the more elaborate forms of grave mm. robbing. No more gangs of lads out being dudes and guys together. <laughs> Just guys being dudes. Guys being... What accent was that? Two guys hanging in a graveyard. <laughs> Five feet apart because they're not gay. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're very much in love. They're very uh, in love. We're, we're yeah, writing totally. the rom-com now. We're writing it's the rom-com gonna be now. Grand. And it's going to be great. It's going to have Mark um, Gatiss in it. <laughs> Who's he playing? Doctor um, Knox. Doctor Knox. Perfect. He'd, actually, he, actually, I think he'd be a pretty good Robotnik. He he would, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. Um. So basically, um, there have been now recently there have been quite a lot of um excavations of hospital burial grounds. Mm. Uh, late nineties. So, for example, in the nineties, excavation of Newcastle Infirmary. Two thousand six, the London Hospital. Mm. Was also uh, the burial grounds were excavated, so uh, we can see like exactly what kind of procedures were performed on these people, and also yeah. what kind of people were put in these graves. It's uh, so the the bodies of these paupers were overwhelmingly uh, male paupers, mm. uh, pretty much so. Um, often, well, female bodies weren't weren't in high demand. They were something of a luxury item. Mm. As were children's bodies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a story in The Italian Boy. Let me see if I can find it. Um, mm-hmm. About which were the most kind of profitable. Um, infant mortality rates were high, and so there was a brisk trade in children, either as yeah. big, small, smalls, or fetuses. Speciality corpses achieved higher than average prices. Uh, in the autumn of 1827, when a young female inmate of an insane asylum succumbed at last to a long illness, uh, William Davis, a member of the notorious Spitalfields gang of Snatchers, was offered 20 guineas by surgeons keen to anatomise her brain. Oof. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, dissecting brains was a big part of it. Yeah. Um, pretty much many of the skeletons found here um, in these burial grounds had uh, evidence of craniotomy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, removal of the of the brain from the skull. So uh, there was a, and uh, as I'll talk in slightly more length later, there was quite um, brains often fetched quite a high price. Yeah, because people were doing kind of phrenology adjacent things. Yeah. Now, um, what I actually wanted to talk about mainly in regards to this at the moment is um, the idea of a possible illegal trade. Oh. Yes, in uh, organs um, and, and in bodies, because that's kind of what we were discussing before, yeah. stuff that was being done, you know, under the shadow of the law. Um, and for that, I'd like to talk about uh, a theory that often pops up in regards to uh, the Ripper murders. Oh, your favourite. Yeah. I am technically... I technically have a master's degree in the Ripper murders. Yeah, you're a Ripperologist. Don't ever call me that again. How <laughs> dare you? It's true, though. I've never been more... It is true. But I've never been more offended in my goddamn life. In all of the seven years I've been alive, I've never oh, been God. more offended. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I'm not going to talk in great detail about the actual murders themselves, because... I no, don't think because that's we're going to cover those. We are going to cover them. That's absolutely correct. Uh, but also, um, it's not that necessary. Um, we we know women were murdered yeah. pretty brutally. Uh, you may not know that several of the victims are found with certain organs missing. Yeah. Uh, partially or in whole. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, the fifth canonical victim, Mary Kelly, was found with her heart missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, other missing organs included kidneys and uh, uteruses. Uteri? Uh, uteri is the plural, yeah. I apologise. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this led to speculation that these murders were committed for the purpose of organ theft. Um, now, obviously, this was before organ transplantation mm. was possible. Uh, it didn't really happen until about the turn of the century, yeah. 1900-ish, from what I can tell. Uh, I think the early ones were kind of corneal transplantations um, although I, 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 there was a rhinoplasty yeah. uh, occurring in India several centuries prior yeah that, I mean um, that makes sense yeah 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 um, but so the reason these organs would be taken would not be for you know because the modern rumour is ah my kidney was stolen for, so a rich businessman could have it yeah for, I, I, I woke up in a bathtub of ice I wake up in a bathtub of ice every yeah, morning yeah that's my morning routine and I feel great. Um, yeah, but uh, so rather, um, if organs were being stolen in, at this time, uh-huh. um, it would be uh, as anatomical teaching tools uh... or as curiosities, yeah. trophies, perhaps. Um, this theory was actually proposed by Dr. Wynne Edmund Baxter, uh, who was not a nobody, he was not a crack, but he uh, conducted the inquests into several of the, uh, Whitechapel murders, which included three of the canonical victims and six of the non-canonical victims. Oh, like the torso? Yes, the torso was one of them. Uh, the, the, uh, the torso found on Pynchon Street, although it's not in the That's the only one I know. (laughs) There were, there were other torso murders. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot Uh, in Cleveland. The Thames torso murders. Uh, In America. Yes, but... In America, yeah. <laughs> no, the the Thames torso murders mm, are also a whole maybe thing. Maybe we'll cover that. One on, one on Tottenham Court Road. Anyway, I'm getting <laughs> off. I'm getting off. Um, 
so yeah, his theory was that the murderer was trying to obtain female parts uh, to sell to doctors and other medical facilities. Uh-huh. Uh, he argued Annie Chapman, who was the second Chronicle victim, had been killed with evidence of medical knowledge uh, and said the conclusion that the desire was to possess the missing abdominal organ seemed overwhelming. Um, now, this theory has been genuinely disproved by everyone, mm. mostly because, um, you know, if you were trying to obtain organs illegally, then mu- murder by ripping someone, by slashing yeah. them, is not a great way to do it, because the organs were pretty badly damaged. Yeah, I was going to say, the likelihood of uh-huh. yeah. of damage is pretty pretty high yeah i mean a lot of the organ like um i mean catherine eddowes the fourth canonical victim had part of her kidney stolen mm. uh the first canonical victim who was uh oh god I'm polly nichols name. polly nichols i'm being a fake fan here aren't i you are um i believe she she had pa- she also had parts missing but nothing in whole mm. um you know in addition to this, um, there's no real market for uterus uteri because hysterectomies were not uncommon. Yeah. Um, also, doctors, you know, they were fairly because of the anatomy, they were fairly able to just take whatever or- organs they yeah. wanted. And I think also, probably not very interested in wombs. Probably not. Well, the exception to this is uh, one of the suspects who has remained a suspect of being Jack the Ripper for quite a long time, even though he's not, um, was Doctor Fra- Doctor Francis Tumblety, which is the best name. It's a great. It's a great <laughs> name. American doctor who was, uh, he who was known to police for his homosexual tendencies. Oh yes. Um, he was a big old he man woman hater. Oh good. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And he also had a uterite collection that he liked to show people. <laughs> Come into my room, these are my uterite. Come into my room, see this womb. My room of wombs. Delightful. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, uh, any real organ trade would be in anomalies. Mm. Uh, you know, medical curiosities, that kind of thing. Uh, so street murder is pretty unlikely because you can't look at someone and go, oh, I bet they've got a fucked up kidney. Mm. I mean, unless they're yellow. Well, maybe. Oh, no, that's a liver, that, really, isn't that, it? That, that's a liver, yeah. dude. <laughs> um, I know about medical stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that theory's been, you know, pretty much disproved. However, mm. um, the idea of there being something of an underground trade in um, bodies, body parts, should not entirely be put aside. It's not quite as sensational as all that. Yeah. Yes, but uh, there's a great paper by Elizabeth T. Huron, who also wrote uh, Dying for Victorian Medicine, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is about uh, the dealings of Oxford University between 1885 and 1929. Now, uh, as Ethel mentioned, the Anatomy Act did not make supply and demand go away. Nope. Um, yes, and by the late 1800s, the corpse demand was intense. Uh, for example, in 1885, uh, a law was passed meaning that all doctors had to qualify in medicine and surgery, which meant everyone had to do anatomy. Oh, God. Yeah, more people than ever needed to find, you know, uh, things to dissect. Now, um, 
what happened was mostly led by uh, a man named Arthur Thompson. Okay. Uh, who had trained at Edinburgh, who came on uh, in 1885 as a lecturer in human anatomy. Uh, now, Oxford had hit a bit of a slump. Um, <gasps> no. Oxford? I know. Imagine that. Oxford. Shocking. <laughs> Now, uh, it had kind of a lack of trained staff, pretty poor grad rate, really needed to improve. Uh, Dr. Thompson gave... My a... God. I know. He gave the medical school a real glow up. <laughs> oh, it was the Came after in like Glock picture. One. He, came, he was like the Fab Five, but in one person. Um, Jesus. Thank you, current reference. What a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> um. So... Basically, now I'm, I'm condensing this article down quite a lot because it is it is very detailed, and I rec- and I recommend reading it if you can because it's really fascinating. Um, but this was still a t- this is up to 1929. Remember, uh, this is still a time. Okay. Yeah. Um, what basically what happened was um, now the Oxford poor were actually looked after quite well because it was a fairly well off borough, you know. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Unsurprisingly. With, yes, they were given greater treatment. Uh, pretty sympathetic. So the anatomy department ended up having to go farther afield in order to obtain its corpses. What we end up seeing and going out into the wild. Going out into the wilds, or to be more precise, uh, the West Midlands, to name but one example. Um, <laughs> what happened was bodies were transported to Oxford, uh, bodies and body parts via the railways. Now what would oh, yeah. what would happen is bodies would be double coffined and then put into chests and transported at night in the train's cargo holds oh. because people still do not like the idea of corpses, you know. Now uh, again, this 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 is all technically legal, but people don't want to hear about it. Um, and the only yeah. real indication of it occurring comes across in the anatomy de- department's uh, financial books, which reveal transactions with. Uh, train drivers, infirmaries, poorhouses, undertakers, porters, all the kind of people who would facilitate that transportation by train. Um, so that was legal, but it was done pretty subterfuge, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's legal, sort of, if you squint. But now what was less legal um, was uh, the, there was kind of a selling of body parts that happened. Now, uh, in particular, Radcliffe Infirmary uh, mm. had some shady stuff going on. Uh, this uh, oh. this account was backed up by an Oxford coroner uh, named Hussey. Um, so <laughs> he he's a hero. Leave him alone. So um, apparently, um, petty cash and... Uh, books reveal tips made to uh, porters in particular on hand. Uh, they could be tipped uh-huh. to supply, for example, brains and uh, limbs from amputations. Now, two body parts could equal a whole week's wages for a porter. Oh, I see where this is going. Yes, exactly. So, um, there was plenty of reason for people who worked in hospitals uh, to yeah. obtain these parts and secrete them away to yeah. the schools. Uh, again, the Radcliffe Infirmary was particularly uh, named, called out for this. Just slipping hearts, lungs, feet into their pockets. Bye. <laughs> Just walking around with like a, f- a foot st- <laughs> sticking comically out of your pocket. Oh, um, I hope so. Again, though, these bodies were largely males, uh, mainly Uh. paupers, again, over the age of 50. Uh, Before World War I, for example, women bodies were uh, pretty rare. Uh. Um, I would would assume they became less rare afterwards because of 
uh, a, a decrease in the population of men. Mm. Um, yes, but in yeah, and also in the nineteen twenties, asylums were more willing to sell female bodies. Yeah, yeah, oh, uh, good old hysteria. <laughs> um, children's bodies uh, were also handed over to anatomists. Again, the Radcliffe Hospital happened to this, and there is some evidence, again provided by Hussey, of parents with um, infant children being possibly compliant in the deaths of their children in order oh, to make money. Good. Yes, in order right. to make money off the corpse. Uh, yeah. He tells he tells a case in 1901 where a three-day-old named Katie Plaster died in hospital just three months after her one-and-a-half-year-old sister Blanche was treated there. Her father, a picture-framer from Oxford, was eager to sell the body. Uh, Hussey thought the whole thing had been handled badly, um, but she had been dis- dissected before any sort of truth of her death could be revealed. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, a lot of this is is legal. Yeah, technically, if you but squint. It's all, I mean, you know, I don't want to say absolutely these uh, that that child, for example, was murdered. Mm, but the likelihood, there's no way of proving. No. And, again, a lot of this were sort of parts from dead people, but um, it throws up uncomfortable questions about yeah. something like consent. Mm. Um, which it, Do you want me to just breeze on through to my last part? Um, yes. Or, yeah? Because <laughs> that's, that's quite a nice little connecting bridge. Um, so, as I mentioned previously, in 1961 we had the Human Tissue Act, mm. Uh, which meant that um, body bodies, body parts, um, basically doctors aren't allowed to decide what happens to them. It's up to the individual and yeah. their family, basically. Yeah. So something like uh, the 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 uh, anatomy act would no longer be allowed. No, that sort of repealed it, so to speak. Yes. Plus, now, I'm not actually sure of this, but I believe this may be correct. I don't believe you can pay uh, someone for their body anymore. You, mm, so, it's weird. You kind of can. Because, like, for example, I donated you? eggs um, several years ago. Ew. And Sorry, that was just a reflex. And I was given money for those body parts, so to speak. I'm just thinking I need to do that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I think after death, I think things get a little bit more murky. I think I don't think you can pay for an entire corpse anymore. No. I think that corpses in medical schools have to be voluntarily, you know, a gift, essentially. Yeah. Um, they have to be benthamed. Only bentham can be benthamed. That's true. The beautiful bentham. I just now want to go benthamed's head. <laughs> I he I when I went to UCL I looked at him every goddamn oh, morning would God. be like morning Jeremy <laughs> morning and then I'd go past they had his head on display in a separate oh, cabinet they had as well the head so like, that's so cool it was you just gaze into his glassy <laughs> eyes because they were actually made yeah. of glass and be like morning again Jeremy and his weird leathery face you beautiful yeah. man also great fun thinker. fact when it became legal to donate your um, like your kin, it also became legal to donate yourself. Cool. Okay. Which is why Bentham was able to do it. He did it as a sort of he wanted to be an example to other people to donate their bodies. Yeah, and he he because he was a staunch atheist, if I remember he absolutely correctly, he was, and he wanted to be an auto icon, which he yes, is. Yes, he did. He is iconic. Yeah, he is. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it's um. I mean, again, I was reading that Body Worlds book earlier, and that's all about mm. how everyone in it is supposed to be donated. Uh, although there is some controversy around that. For example, um, mm. there is evidence of some shady practices. For example, in two thousand two, uh, it was proven that Body Worlds had accepted uh, some Russian corpses that were from unconsenting prisoners. And then uh, in 2003, um, the bodies of uh, prisoners and psychiatric patients from Kyrgyzstan uh, also Mm. uh, were accepted for Body World. But um, apparently... And then wasn't there a a rip-off? Body worlds that was found to have there were quite a lot of rip off body worlds. Yeah, I think the main one mm, was. But there was one found specifically. The one that had um, executed Chinese prisoners. Yes, that's the one I was in its midst. Uh, yeah, mm. which is um, uh, from uh, political prisoners who yep. are um, practices of practitioners rather of Falun Gong, uh, which is a religion, mm-hmm. um, which was. Uh, it seems to be fairly peaceful from what I understand of it, but it is yeah. viewed as a threat by the oh. commu- Chinese Communist Party. Everything is viewed um, as a threat by them. <laughs> yeah, so uh, prisoners and, th- and this has been admitted to. This is not mm. a room. This is not a rumor. Prisoners have um, executed on demand to provide organs. Yep. Um, there's a great documentary about it uh, from 2014 called Human Harvest, which you should check out. And also, uh, if you go to the British Museum, there's usually people outside protesting this. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely check that out because it's uh, a huge human rights abuse, obviously. Yep. Um, but, I mean, the idea behind Body Worlds, I would say, is pretty... Pretty cool. It's a nice one. I quite yeah. like it. Yeah. The idea of a forever corpse. Well, it's good just for people to see anatomy, you yeah. know what I mean? And, like, we pretend to have the whole kind of we're past, like I said earlier, past the wanting to gawk at executions and public dissections. <laughs> but I've, you know, I've been to see Body Worlds. It was incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. It was very popular. Yeah. People like looking at bodies. They do. I mean, yeah, there's a whole bit in this book about people talking about their responses and... Mm pretty positive from what I understand like pe- yeah. people people said they were challenged by it or they were frightened by it but the overall reception seems to be fairly positive lots of people left considering becoming organ donors more you know for example good yeah totally um now uh that might be in terms of considering what a modern equivalent sort of grave robbing is um we can talk mm. about stuff like body worlds and you know the potential for uh, misuse in that regard. Uh, mm. I wanted to keep and things non-consent. Oh yeah, totally. I wanted to keep things confined to our little island of Britain, though. Oh. Hmm. So, um, and oh, I should specify, I'm I'm talking specifically here about um, uh, the use of uh, bodies and body parts for uh, medical teaching purposes. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about uh, bodies that have been stolen or mishandled for other purposes. For example, sexual grave robbing. Yeah. Which is a big thing. Uh, uh-huh. Honestly, you could do a separate episode on that because there are many. There was a case uh, recently, I, th- I think he was only prosecuted recently in Russia, mm. of um, a man uh, who had dug up children's graves and turned oh, them into dolls, which God. he kept in his house. Yes. Um, That's awful. <laughs> 
Uh, but we're not going to be talking about that because no. that is. I don't think that was technically for sexual purposes. It, it was. It was for non-medical purposes. Put it that way. Okay. Um, but believe it or not, we have a pretty recent case of uh, some something very similar uh-huh. happening. Uh, something very tragic happening as well. Oh. Um, and that took place in. Well, this case broke between 1989 and 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it's relatively recent. Yeah. Um. Now, what happened in this case? Um, was at uh, Alder Hay Children's Hospital between 1988 and 1996. Mm. Um, essentially, uh, an anatomist named Professor. You ready for this? Uh, sorry, a pathologist named Professor Dick Van Velzen. <laughs> That's the second time I've heard that name, and it never gets less funny. You are a child. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he kind of sounds like a like a movie villain. He does. He sounds like Dick Van Dyke's evil cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and he is Dick Van Dyke's evil yeah. cousin for all intents and purposes. Um, there were other people who contributed to it, but he was very much at the yeah, centre of and it. and he has the best name. Totally. <laughs> um, essentially, um, the... Body parts, including organs, uh, skeletons, sometimes entire heads of uh, about eight hundred and forty-five children, um, were were retained uh, as well as fetuses, mm. were retained without parents' consent. Oh God! Yeah. Um, so uh, the Guardian uh, reports on this. Uh, the the body parts were discovered in a basement. Many were poorly preserved in formaldehyde. This collection also included a lot of older specimens, including uh, one thousand five hundred sixty four from the fifties, uh, as well as a stockpile of fetal eyes that had never been used <laughs> for research. I mean, we all have that. You can only laugh, really. <laughs> yeah, because it's so horrifying. It's very horrible. Um, yeah. And again, we had heads, whole bodies of children aged 0 oh, to 11, Jesus. dating back to the 60s. Some some, some uh-huh. before Van Velzen's time. But Van Velzen himself also kept the head of a child in a jar. Oh, this guy is as well, you might... not normal. He he blamed the hospital for this because of course he said they did not provide the means to properly examine the cause of death, so it was necessary to preserve all these organs, of course, uh, bits of organs, so he could study them further and you know help families or whatever. Which is very much a line that he kept up the whole time that he was he very much doesn't see himself as being a villain in this. No, I was going to say he he seems like he absolutely believes. I genuinely think he did. Yeah. Um I think so too. Yeah, and he he's guilty he's guilty of falsifying postmortem examinations uh so he could keep specimens. Um so that meant that uh parents would bury what they thought was their entire child but there were bits missing to God, what a horrifying thing to find out. Exactly, yeah. Um, years after the fact, I mean, this was happening yeah. in the 80s, the late 80s is uh-huh. when these sort of fresher samples were discovered. The older samples, I'm not too sure about. Yeah. And uh, yeah, on one occasion, this is according to The Guardian again, his delaying of post-mortem facts meant that um, a child who had uh, died of a genetic disorder, uh, basically uh, the family who were not aware of this because they their child mm. had not been properly you know, examined, had another child with the same disorder. Oh, God. Yes, exactly. Um, Jesus Christ. It's very horrible. Uh, th- this, yeah. this whole scandal led to new guidelines for organ retention. Good. 
uh, in 2000, calling for full consent from relatives and yeah. the great, greater consideration of family feelings. Uh, there was there were inquiries held across Britain about other hospitals possibly being involved. The professor himself, he was struck off in 2005, uh, found guilty of misconduct, so he can't practice medicine anymore in the UK. Uh, but he can in the Netherlands. Oh, good. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Um, Sorry, Netherlands. As of 2004, the unidentified remains uh, have been interred okay. at Allerton Cemetery. Um, th- it, it did not specifically say this, but this is what I assume, that the identified remains were returned to the family. Yeah. yeah. And everything that wasn't was kind of put together. Yeah, and, you know, respectfully buried, because that's... Yeah. What you have to, that's the law. You can't just. Can't just hoy him in a hole. There is a lot of red tape around mm. dead. I mean, one of my archaeology courses we were kind of told that, like, about a case where they stumbled across uh, a body from the 1940s, mm. like this was at a war thing. Um, and it basically, like, halted the entire thing down for weeks. Well, yeah. Well, they had to, yeah, well, they had to sort out all the proper stuff. You mm. know, there's a lot of paperwork. Uh, you need to get someone else in to examine, remove the body, all that kind of which thing. Is, which is good. It's very good, yeah. Um, you know, they had to have a funeral for it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's valid. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that story's pretty disturbing yeah. to me. And um, I, came acro- I came across it because I found a paper about body snatching in the Scottish Medical Journal asking, um, was this the modern form of the body snatchers? I would say yeah. The article concluded no because of community support was far different. Okay. But given how given how different society is. Yeah. I and honestly there was a form of community support with the body snatchers. I mean, we were kind of talking about uh, Watchmen for example. Yeah. Obviously it wasn't the same and it, it was often families, but people really did care about, about body snatching. Yeah. People um, really did. Yeah, and nowadays, of course, this case cut particularly deep, I think, because it was children. Mm. But, you know, I mean... Do you think that's why the Italian boy case caught such... Maybe. So I much mean, in the public imagination? I don't think children at that point, uh, 1830, had quite the same sentimental value that they came to no. have in the sort of mid to late Victorian period and up to mm. the present day. I think it was more kind of... Well, A, just how deep the kind of corruption in the medical system was. Yeah. But also just how many families came forward, like, we're missing children. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, I mean, that that, that was probably a, a wake-up call, but uh. I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm not an, uh, a medical expert or anything, but um, no. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But um, this incident was literally taking bodies, bits of bodies, without yeah. consent and hoarding them for ostensibly educational purposes. And I'd say that sounds yeah. quite a lot like body snatching. I I mean, considering the definition of body snatching is the removal of bodies yeah. from graves uh-huh. for the purpose of selling them for medical use mm. or using them for medical purposes, I would say yeah. pretty pretty <laughs> on the nose. I mean, obviously, there's no, uh, as far as I as far as I can tell, actually, from what I read, there's no 
a financial aspect to it. No. Uh, saying that out loud, I'm like, is it possible that uh, some samples were obtained from other hospitals for a price? It's possible? Which I don't actually know, hmm. because I haven't come across that information, but it is possible. Yeah. It does seem a little bit like this is sort of body snatcher and anatomist rolled into one. He's the butcher, the thief, and the man who buys the beef. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think on that grim note... Yeah, sorry, I always end things on grim notes. <laughs> we should bring the episode to an end. We sure should. Thank you for joining us on this morbid and macabre <laughs> dive into... Uh... The morbid and the macabre. Yeah. What have we, what have we learned here tonight, boys? Um... Grave robbing is lucrative, but a lot of hard work. Murder easier. Yes. <laughs> this uh, is what we I have think learned. we need. I I've, I've learned that uh, bodies are in short supply. Yep. And therefore, maybe what we need is a big change in attitude towards death. Yeah, I would agree. In order to, you know, maybe get more people to consider donating, mm-hmm. and also maybe more of a, a guarantee that yeah, the, the their body parts won't be mistreated yeah. like what happened to those children mm, absolutely. and you know more more of a transparency around what actually happened yeah i, I think mean the the uh the funeral service and the funeral industry that's what i wanted in Hello. the world kind of needs to be a lot more transparent with this is what happens in the funeral industry and you know what i have a couple of books i can recommend oh okay if you're interested i sure am in uh in learning more about the funeral industry mm-hmm. so the obvious one is smoke gets in your eyes uh by caitlin doty oh yes yes 10 out of 10 would recommend very good book um but also um and i'm trying to lean around to see it because i don't have it with me um carla valentine's book i believe oh. it's called past mortems it is i have a copy of that Mm. I'm also looking. That, so that's a look. That's a good one. Into yeah, into her kind of life as a um, as a mortician pathologist. and a pathologist. Yeah, yeah not mortician yeah, yeah. pathologist. Um, There's also uh, I would also recommend Stiff by Mary yes, Roach. Absolutely, which is a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can get a hand your hands on a copy of it, I honestly recommend the book I was just talking about, which is uh, the catalogue from the Body Worlds exhibition. I believe that my edition's from two thousand six, uh, but as well as descriptions of the of the items in the exhibit, um, it also has several essays at the back about you know the morality and the ethics around it. Uh, you know, mm. questioning should we display death? Um, also how visitors reacted to it, and. You know, talking. Yeah. I mean, uh, for example, it talks about uh, von Huygens conducted a public autopsy for the first time in you know two hundred years in oh. in London. Yeah, yeah. Um, which ha- there was a big contra- controversy around that. Oh, of course. Um, even though, you know, I mean, I don't particularly have an opinion on this as such, but um, he is just doing something that people do every day, which is performing yeah. an autopsy. Yeah, but just where people can see exactly. Um, so, you know, when you, I mean, obviously, a lot of people were saying this is cheap sensationalism, and maybe they're right, but yeah, at the same, it is a little. At bit. the same time, it, you know, um, we do have to kind of face up to our own mortality, and it is something that happens. And mm. you know, I mean, we're severely disconnected from we're very disconnected from to death, so it's good sometimes to be reminded yeah. of it. 
Absolutely. But you know what's really important? Consent. Exactly. Don't be doing anything with a body that you're not supposed to do. That you haven't been explicitly told that you can. Mm-hmm. And I think on that very important note, yes, we will bring the episode to an end. Next week we'll be discussing uh, UFOs. Yes. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I am too. Mm-hmm. I love a good UFO. Yay. Yay. Ah, right. So... With that, I will bid. We will bid you good night. We will bid you good night. Sleep tight. Don't let. Wait, who's who's? Actually, I'm gonna. Gi- I'm gonna give this to. Don't let Professor Dick Van Velzen bite. <laughs> the bastard. Night. Good night. <laughs>